Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. All right, welcome to episode seven, I believe, Dustin. I believe that's correct, Dave. Episode seven of the Know Their Story podcast. Uh, we have a very special episode. Um, I was just talking to everyone before we started. This is what we've been working towards for over a year with the movie and the podcast of, of what we want to do. And that's start conversations, uh, not only between uh, family members and friends but uh, and veterans, but also veterans of different generations. Um, you know, we have this wealth of experience in the Vietnam veterans who have transitioned back into civilian life, who have gone back to work in the civilian fields, um, know what it's like to work with people who maybe don't have the same shared goals that you do in the military. Um, and so we today have those generations, but also a very special type of generation is we have family members here to talk. And to introduce everyone, um, I am going to go with, I'm going to say RHIP, Rank Habits its Privileges in Terms of Age. So our first <laughs> guest served in the Vietnam War uh, as a LERP Ranger with Hotel Company Rangers, uh, was a team leader, um, served with great distinction. We've had the honor of talking to him many, many times for the movie and enjoyed his great hospitality. Uh, after he left the military, he went on to a very long uh, career in the telecommunications industry. He's a proud father, a proud grandfather. Uh, please welcome Sergeant Charlie Ochoa, who uh, is bottom left since my screen is the one of record uh, for the recording. And with us, with Charlie and with us today are his niece and nephew. Uh, first, we have, um, he's a Lieutenant Colonel in the Army. He joined the Army, uh, has also served with the Marines and then deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, what I like to, to point out to my daughters as they are both now 13 and you know, I, I tell them many times you don't start, no one gets hired for their first job as the CEO of the company. So let's, uh, let's get some expectations set. Um, we are today with Lieutenant Colonel Oscar Ochoa, but what I love is you actually joined the Army as a private and have worked your way up. Congratulations on that. Um, and also joining us is his sister. Uh, she joined the Army as well, but is now with in the Air Force, uh, is a doctor in the Air Force, has been deployed to uh, Afghanistan. Just I, Both are Afghanistan? Just Afghanistan. All right. Uh, where she uh, would go out into the field, into the villages, and help with medical needs for uh, the local population and bring that experience. Please welcome... Colonel Michelle Flores, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. So uh, we are 
dealing with a time difference. So thank you for joining us so late at night from uh, Europe. Um, uh, we actually are covering a lot of time zones. Charlie's in Texas, Dustin's in Taos, New Mexico. I'm sitting just outside the occupied zone here in Seattle. Uh, <laughs> I joked with Ed Beal last week because he said he was getting our weather. It was raining and sunny and 70 here. So I said I would trade our protesters to take our rain back and he declined. <laughs> uh, so uh, with me today, also my partner in crime for many years, going back to college at Seattle U, two blocks away from that occupied zone of Veganzuela. Sure. Uh, Dustin Sweet. Hello, uh, Dustin. everybody. How are you today? Oh, doing great. I will turn it over to you. You always have our first question. Oh, fantastic. Uh, what was it like growing up with uh, Charlie in the scene? Did you guys have him around a lot? or I mean, he seems really uh, mellow now, but I have a feeling that uh, as a youngster, he might not have been the most mellow of uncles. <laughs> So we were both um, we were both military brats, so we moved a lot. So um, when we were in Texas and San Antonio, we definitely always met up with Uncle Charlie. And um, I was very fond of um, his daughters. Uh, um, we were cousins, and we would do a lot of stuff together. But Uncle Charlie and my Tia Beverly were like just great, always inviting us over, you know, to do things with the family and. Um, just always very welcoming us back. You know, as a military, you're always out and about. And so it's nice when you have family who kind of welcomes you into your home, even though you don't live there all the time in that particular area. Yeah, my, my recollection of Uncle Charlie from a very young age is he's always been a great uncle. Um, we have the fortune of coming from a, a military family that has a lot of experience. So my sister and I, from a very young age, learning about my uncle and my father's military history, just have the utmost respect for what they accomplished while they were in uniform. And Charlie, you have spoken to us many times of, of your pride in your niece and nephew's service. Uh, he spoke glowingly about you in our first, or in our, our second one. We asked who he would like to thank outside of the Rangers and Apache Troop. You two were his first, but I don't want to take words from your mouth, Charlie. If you, if you have anything to say about their service, go ahead. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I have six nieces and nephews. Uh, my sister's husband was a career Air Force, and she, had, uh, she and her husband had four, four uh, children. And then my brother, of course, had uh, Michelle and Oscarito, but I got to tell you, as far as nieces and nephews, <laughs> I think I just did really, really well as far as, you know, they're so forgiving uh, of some of the, you know, snafus that we've had in the family. They're, they're always there. Uh, we are each other's cheerleaders. Uh, it's certainly just a real pleasure to, to have them around. And, uh, so proud of their service to our country. Uh, I know that they give 100% wherever, wherever they're stationed and whatever the job is. And I know Oscar was a, a private, but even as a private, I mean, it's pedal to the middle. 
And I just want to say, Charlie, there's no way you're going to get out of us us calling you Uncle Charlie from now on. <laughs> I'm used to it. And I take great pride in hearing those two words, <laughs> believe me. All right. And for Michelle and Oscar, coming up from a military family, did you always know that you wanted to go into the military? Or what? at what point did you decide that you wanted to enlist? So, so OK, go ahead, Oscar. Um, <laughs> You know, we were we were never pushed, you know, by the family to join the military. But I've I've always felt, you know, from a very young age, to be very fortunate to be born an American. Even though my sister and I were both born in Germany on an Air Force base, um, and I think it was at the point where I was getting close to probably maybe being a sophomore in high school that I decided that I would join the military and not necessarily make a career of it, but take that time to grow a little bit and mature and decide what I was gonna do later on in life. I'm sorry, I'm giggling because you definitely needed to grow and mature at that young age, <laughs> which he has done. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna take a bet and Michelle say that you're older. Yes, I'm the older sister. And I will tell you that for me, the military, um, since I was a little girl, the one thing that I remember, I don't know why, I was always enamored by the military. So seeing my dad in his uniform, I thought that was really cool, you know, like knowing like what that my Uncle Charlie and my dad were both, you know, in the military and that, that they had gone to Vietnam. Um, I remember living in Panama um, and watching the troops go by and I remember them hearing singing cadence. And I remember thinking like, I want to do that when I grow up. <laughs> And so ever since that like particular thing, I thought, this is really cool. We get to travel. I can sing cadence. I can march, you know, like when I was little. Um, so it was always in my head, you know, that I thought, okay, I, I want to join the military. Perfect. Yeah, I talked my younger daughter, younger by 33 minutes. Um, <laughs> she is very strong, like she sees the world very definitively. And I was talking to her about a couple months ago and she's like, you know, I think I'd like to be an actress because you can travel the world and other people pay for it and they pay you. I'm like, that's true. So she could also join the army. Like, you know, they'll pay you too. She's like, yeah, I've thought about that too. And I think I'd like to do that. I was like, well, then join the Air Force. They have better food. She's like, nah, if I'm going to go through that, I think I should go to the Middle East so I can at least shoot terrorists. <laughs> okay, like, let's, I'm going to keep an eye on you if that's okay. <laughs> so, but yeah, she's like, I'd like to travel and the military will pay you to do that. Okay, all right. Um, so growing up, and, and your father was in Vietnam as well, correct? Yes. Yes. For your father and for Charlie, um, did they talk about their service that much when you were younger? Or, I mean, obviously you knew that they were in the military, but about how old or did it even happen that they would tell you more about Vietnam? Oscar, do you want to go first? Okay, so I remember my father telling us that he and Uncle Charlie had been in Vietnam when we were younger, but I think 
where my father really opened up was when my sister and I got older. And I think part of that opening up was that they finally, they finally realized that they could open up more about the feelings that they were harboring inside of them. And they felt that they couldn't release those for a really long time. And sometimes I call that the demons they have inside. Some of those may be good or some of them may be bad. And I have, I have lots of friends that are serving and they, and they carry some of those demons as well. But I remember my father going more in depth with me, you know, when I was older and, and really pouring out his feelings and some of the stuff he experienced and some of the stuff he regrets. And um, I, was, I was happy to see that. I was happy to see him be able to tell me that, uh, to share that pain and emotion with me that he had been hiding for all those years. And I really, I really think it helps to be able to have somebody to do that with because it's important that you don't keep that bottled up. Michelle? Yeah, I, so I remember the stories my, my dad would tell me. And one of the things that always um, is stuck in my mind is how much he was proud of my Uncle Charlie. <laughs> he always talked about Uncle Charlie and what he did and um, you know everything he did in Vietnam and how they were both actually in Vietnam at the same time, even though they weren't supposed to be. Um, and then he'd talk about um, his job, you know, like as a military police, because they were not always the most liked folks on the compound because they had to like make sure people weren't, you know, using drugs or weren't doing the things they weren't supposed to do. And so sometimes people were quite angry with them and even threatened their lives, you know, as military police. So um, yeah, I just I just remember the stories. Definitely, my dad would like tell us, you know, stories about things and. Um, about things that happen and my brother's right like especially as we got older it seems like you know he started to open up more and tell us more about what happened and charlie from your perspective what was it like or for you you know not just talking about it but even with family members was that a, an extra step of, of wanting to not have to tell them what it's like or what you know what was it like from from your end to start talking with family you know uh dave uh reflecting back i really don't think i spoke too much about my military service uh you know it just uh even people with the phone company at&t now see on facebook some posts having to do with the patchy blues and the movie that you're working on the documentary and they say this is people i i've known for 30 35 years charlie we didn't know that you served in vietnam but as far as you know nieces and nephews i kind of looked at it because there are uh two two nephews that i've got a male the, the nephews that i just didn't want them to feel or be, uh, be obligated or in any way trying to join the service. Uh, I've even, with my, my grand, uh, grandsons, and I've got uh, three grandsons, every now and then one of them will say, well, Grandpa, now you were a paratrooper, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, but it's not, they didn't get it from me. They got it from their mom, our daughter, Adriana. So I was always kind of a little, I don't know, hesitant hesitant to talk about my uh, service in Vietnam, but within the last probably four years is when now it's 
it's not something that uh, it bothers me. Less, less and less it bothers me, I guess, some of the things that I experience. Dustin? Oscar, um, what was it like uh, rotating between the forces, between the Army and the Marines? Did you, did you do that in country? Did you do that back in the States? How did that, how did that come about? And Michelle between Army and Air Force. And Michelle between the Army and the Air Force. I just assumed that she was like, I want to go deal with the Air Force. I'll see you later. They have better food. <laughs> so, so the reason I transferred from the Marine Corps as an officer to the Army is I was actually engaged to an Army doctor. And I left the Marine Corps for her, the Marine Corps that I very, very much loved. And I did an inner service transfer. It was... It was a little bit of a culture shock prior to my transfer. I was actually at Uniformed Service at University of the Health Sciences, which is the DOD medical school. That's the only DOD medical school in Bethesda, Maryland. So coming from Marine Corps OCS and then seeing these, a lot of these direct commissions off the street was, that was the culture shock. So I kind of, it kind of prepared me to transfer from the Marine Corps to the Army Medical Department. Um, there, there are a lot of great officers and, and, you know, both services, but I, I have much more pride in being commissioned through the Marine Corps. Um, I take very great, very much great pride in going through OCS and earning that commission. And I, I think I offend people sometimes when I say they're handed their commission because most medical officers in the military, they are direct commissions. Um, and they, that's there for a reason, but it was it was an interesting transition. I had a great first um, brigade commander. I was in four one cab in El Paso, and I'm still in touch with my old BCT commander, who's uh, getting ready to retire here as a three star. So it was a, it was an interesting transition. It took a little bit of uh, getting used to the culture change. Yeah, I uh, I went to University of San Diego out of out of high school and I was at a Padres game and the Navy was on one side of the field and the Marines were on the other side and the Navy guys they're all over the stadium they're drinking they're talking to girls they're taunting the Marines across the way the Marines came in in formation sat down together crossed their legs at the same time their Sleeves were rolled up the exact same way. No one moved until after the seventh inning when they got up and stretched all in formation, sat down, and then jogged out of the stadium in the eighth inning while the Navy taunted them. I was like, I think I like the Navy right now. <laughs> so, and Michelle, what led your transfer to the Air Force? So I, um, after my deployment, I was gone 13 months. Um, I had two kids and um, for me, I just, I needed some dwell time. So I was looking for something, you know, like um, I spoke to the army and kind of said, hey, I, you know, like I would like to know like what's my next, you know, assignment gonna be, what am I gonna be doing next? Um, and I just, I, I don't think I was necessarily in a, a good state of mind at the time um, coming back from deployment. And I just, I made the decision, I'm getting out, I need time. So, um, I actually went and interviewed for a civilian position in the States. Um, I was in Germany at the time. Um, and it was like very different because they, 
you know, they said, oh yes, come out, you're a doctor, you know, like we'll pay for this, we'll do all this stuff, you know, and I, I went out to interview with them and as I was sitting there, I just, I realized that these people had no idea what it was like to be deployed. <laughs> like they had no idea what it was like to be in the military, like all the families, you know, and the, the trouble that they go through. And I thought, you know what, I'm, I deal with these families. I know what it's like. I've been through it. I really need to do something, go back um, and go back in. And so I actually worked as a GS, as a civilian in a military clinic. <laughs> um, I just came out of uniform, worked as a civilian in the military clinic um, because that's where I felt at home and I felt comfortable and I felt I did the most good because I understood what these families were going through. And then um, after a while, um, I figured, I thought, well, you know what, Michelle, you put in 10 and a half years, like, what are you doing? Like you got, you, you originally I had planned on, you know, getting my retirement. And so I started looking at options and um, I just started to coordinate with the Air Force and they said, yeah, we'll take you. Where do you want to go? I was like, okay. <laughs> so I came back into the Air Force. <laughs> Nice. Excellent. And uh, sorry, Dustin, go ahead. Uh, just uh, I was wondering how um how how that transition to civilian, like that momentary step to civilian life and then back in how um, what were the big differences uh, that you noticed in your own life? Um, I suppose um, I would say more stability, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, as far as I, I had a little bit more stability. I kind of knew what the plan was like. Um, I think it wasn't that big a transition, except every time I went outside, I wanted to put my cap on. <laughs> like, I wanted to put my headgear on because I was like, wait, oh, I'm not in uniform anymore. Um, um, because I was working in a military clinic, I was still dealing, you know, with the military population. And so um, for me, it wasn't as different. I had a little bit more, at that time, a few more benefits <laughs> as far as um, some of the things that the civilians got that I was like, wow, they get this, I didn't get this. <laughs> so, um, which I thought was interesting, but um, other than that, it wasn't a huge, because I think I kind of stayed in my military, you know, community doing just a job in civilian clothes for the military. Right. I worked with a retired 06 in customs and he was social security eligible. So he was triple dipping. That guy was the happiest guy I've ever seen in my life. Just unflappable. Every day was a great day. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, that what you're saying just brought up like a host of, of conversation topics in my mind. So I'm trying to sort through them, but I, I think before, a good transition is we've talked about it uh, on different podcasts and in the movie that the shared experience of soldiers across um, conflicts, World War II, um, Vietnam, even back to, you know, we've mentioned it before, the, the poems by Homer and the voice of Achilles from the Peloponnesian Wars is talking about a lot of the same experiences of what soldiers go through when they transition back. You were saying you, you were maybe not in the best place when you came back from the army and um, I don't want to make any assumptions so we'll dive into it, but 
having talked to your dad and, and what he's talked about or Charlie over the last couple of years, do you guys see some shared experiences between your generations and, and where you served and he served? Have you find, found any commonalities like that? Well, I, I think there are some shared experiences and, you know, some people might, might, you know, find this offensive when I say this, but I think we actually had it somewhat easier being deployed in this generation because we have internet, um, you know, we had a lot of luxuries depending on where you were. I mean, I wasn't on a small cop with, you know, 40 guys. I've been to small cops, but, um, you know, we weren't waiting things were much more instantaneous when it was communicating with a family. Um, but you still go through the, the hardship of being separated from the ones you love. And on the other side of that is the family members not knowing what's going on with you. And then the media is much more involved this day and age to when they would see something happening in an area where I was in Iraq or Afghanistan my friends or family might immediately get worried because they know, oh, well, I know he's in that area. Is that affecting him? Um, and it wasn't as instantaneous in some of the other conflicts. But we always will have the shared bond of, of losing friends uh, um, that we have memories with that were very close to us in, in conflicts. Uh, I think everybody in my family between me, my uncle Charlie, my sister and I have lost people that we cared about, you know, defending the cloth of this nation. Michelle or Charlie? So, I mean, I think that, I agree with my brother, there are a lot of, you know, like niceties that we now have um, that, you know, that definitely they didn't have. So um, that's, that's great. Um, I agree that some of the things are, you know, can be the same, right? As far as um, still the uncertainty, you know, going into a war zone, not knowing what to expect, um, you know, like, I mean, for me, it was like, I guess a little bit different in like treating, you know, patients or treating landmine victims, you know, like you talked about um, before you had mentioned prior to us getting on this about, you know, children, um, and land, you know, land landmines are getting, you know, IDs. And so we'd see those folks, like we'd see those kids, you know, that would come into our facility. So, so I think like you still have those, still have to deal with some of those, you know, feelings that you have when you're deployed. Um, and I don't know, but I never asked like Uncle Charlie or my dad, you know, like when you came back, like how did you feel? Like, like did you feel because I felt like I was kind of out of body, like I felt like I was a zombie. I felt um, like a zombie, you know, for several months. Like it was hard for me to reintegrate with my family. <clears throat> I mean, you you leave your family, which is difficult, and then you actually make another family, right? So my clinic, my medics, they were my family. They were, you know, for 13 months, like we were together for well, 12 months there, and then I had to stay an extra month, but we were all together. We went through a lot of, you know, hardships. We like lost one of our medics from an IED, you know, so you go through all of these emotional things that tie you, you know, tie you closely together. And so, it, yes, it's, you know, sometimes hard when you come back because you're like, wait a second, I just left another family. I'm back with that family, but they were my family too, you know, so it's just a little bit 
odd. I can't even imagine, <clears throat> I can't imagine, you know, like Uncle Charlie and, you know, like as far as those who like have to like be in combat and, um, you know, kill other human beings and, you know, um, how that must be difficult for them. And just watching some of the podcasts that you've done before, listening to those guys, I was just like, wow, that must have been, you know, very difficult for some of them and some of the things that they definitely went through. So, um, yeah, I think some of the things are the, you know, are, are the same, but I don't want to like, for, you know, for me, like, it seems like so much greater, like the things that they went through, because I wasn't in, you know, direct combat. Um, but yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, before we got on all of our, all of our veterans we've talked to who were shot and, and ended up under the services of the doctors and nurses, a utmost respect, but also they they will say they have the respect for you because you deal with the aftermath of combat every day compared to, yeah, they got shot and they didn't like that experience, but they got better and, and got to walk away from the hospital. So they have the utmost respect for what you did. Um, but I, I will say, Charlie, she said she never asked you what it was like to come home. We got you on the line. Um, what would you like to say to to that question and, and, and what she was just talking about. Well, as you know, uh, Dave, Beverly and I were, were pen pals, <laughs> for lack of a better word, when I was in Vietnam and we, we started writing to each other and everything. And uh, I was always real positive with the letters, writing home. But uh, when I was released from the military after uh, 33 months, I, I came home and we're sitting in the living room, my, my dad, my mom, Beverly and I, with the television in the background, Walter Cron Cronkite comes on on the evening news, five o'clock or so here in San Antonio, and he talks about the uh, casualties for the day. There were uh, medium casualties, so many killed, so many wounded, this and that. Uh, It was just tough. It was difficult. After that first week, and uh, my parents and Beverly, they just kind of like, they're stunned. They don't know what's going on. What's wrong with Charlie? You know, everything was fine until this newscast. But I gotta tell you though, uh, I, did, I did manage to transition and I think going to college and, uh, Starting a career with AT&T kept me so busy in starting a family. Having that career with AT&T of 29 years was something that just kind of was at the forefront at all times, trying to, trying to put myself, you know, give, my, give the best of myself into a career. But in the back, the back of my mind, I always had feelings of guilt because I think after that week, I realized, Charlie, you know, why were you lucky? Why did you come home? And some of the people that I served with did not. And so, you know, I started learning more about survivor's guilt. That was a key issue, survivor's guilt for me, that uh, they didn't come home, but I did. But if I could, you've, you've heard mention of my brother, which is Michelle and Oscar's. 
uh, father. <laughs> this this happens to be a picture of of my brother and uh, a retired sergeant major, but he he set the tone pretty much for me because he was about seven seven and a half years older. And when he went in the army, I was, I guess, probably in high school and I, I just cried. And my, one of my, I was a sophomore, I think, 10th grade. One of the teachers says, Charlie, what's wrong? I said, well, my brother went in the service today and uh, I'm not sure when I'm gonna see him, but he deployed to Santa Domingo, he deployed to Vietnam. We, we had 90 days overlap in Vietnam, which my mother gained a lot of weight, <laughs> tried to, uh, drowned her misery and in, in calories, right? But uh, Oscar was always, which happens, the, my brother's name Oscar and my nephew's name Oscar. But anyway, my brother uh, always served with airborne units, uh, most, of it, most of the time in his career. And he was uh, part of the 173rd Airborne Brigade stationed in LZ English in Vietnam. And I never did get to see him in Vietnam. And uh, one of the reasons I volunteered for Vietnam was because they had a daughter, and that was Michelle. She was about three years old. I said, if I volunteer, then my brother doesn't have to go. Well, I'm over there, and I get this notification uh, letter. By the way, your brother's also in Vietnam. What? <laughs> okay, I get it. Uh, he's a career soldier. But just a, a real quick note here, I was in Benoit as a recruiter after I got out of the field and I was recruiting for our company for, uh, for Rangers. And it was the end of August, 1970. I'm summoned to the orderly room and there is a telegram via the Red Cross saying that Oscar Adolfo Ochoa was born. And to see Michelle and Oscar go from toddlers to where they are today gives me just unbelievable pride. I hope you can tell that. <laughs> but anyway, Oscar, uh, I was just, I mean, I was elated. I said, well, this is, this is great, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, I kind of danced around your question, Dave, and I kind of lost track of it, but I think those were some good points that I, I wanted to make. No problem. We're, we're used to you dancing. Uh, <laughs> so I just, the one thing I wanted to say, I think one of the things that was really different also is that um, most of us now that are in the military are supported by the American public. So I, you know, like if when I came back from Afghanistan and I was in the airports, you know, and like people knew I was in the military, it was like, you know, people were very grateful and were very thankful. And so we see that, you know, for the most part, I think the majority of the American public is very supportive of the military. And that's something that I think was very different, especially for those who were in Vietnam, that they didn't have the support of the country. And so I can't even like imagine how hard that must, you know, must have been for them as well to have to come back then to somewhere where you're not really supported when you get back. Well, Charlie has told us he was very thankful he came back through Texas and not Berkeley. <laughs> Dave, Dave if, if I could, 
I'd like to, uh, something triggered my mind here with the question you asked about shared experiences. Go for it. So, okay. So, you know, I don't talk to Michelle and Oscar as often as my brother does, but I can assure you through him, I have known everything or most everything that's gone on in their careers from the time that, uh, for example, uh, Oscar was a private in the Army, and uh, there was a picture of him with a steel pot and a uh, poncho liner, uh, or a poncho, uh, that you would never think, well, this guy, he's on the track for lieutenant colonel. <laughs> or uh, right after medical school, and, and both Michelle and Oscar, uh, are graduates of the of, of Baylor University. So Michelle got her MD, and then uh, Oscar received a, a Master of Science, I believe, in uh, hosp like hospital administration. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Oscar. It's okay. Healthcare administration. But, okay, healthcare administration. Very close. But the, okay, but the bottom line is that as they progressed through their careers and were deployed, like Oscar in Afghanistan and Iraq. And then Michelle uh, in Afghanistan, and the thing, and the the job duties, the job responsibilities. I mean, it, I was like in awe, in awe of what they did. Uh, Oscar going outside the uh, the wire, the perimeter on patrols, and then uh, Michelle uh, surrounded in these uh, or a convoy of of little Toyota pickup trucks going up into the to the rigid mountains of Afghanistan, to no man's land, uh, with and the special forces setting up a, a perimeter, and here come all these people on donkeys and for for medical help. And I guess with Michelle was a vet veterinarian to take care of their you know look at their animals that were ill and all that. That to me is you know I was I was just in awe. And I would hang on every word that Oscar, my, my brother Oscar, would tell me about their deployments and what they were going through. Because although I wasn't there, I had some idea of the uh, dangers that they were in and also their commitment to serving our country. It's unyielding commitment that they've had. And I think that's just uh, remarkable to me. And I'm actually going to open this up a little, like we're talking, Dustin and I kind of feel more like moderators this week rather than interviewers. Um, we would like it to open it up to this wealth of experience Charlie has for any questions, Michelle or Oscar, you may have that, you know, you're thinking about for when you do transition or your friends in the military who are close to transitioning, um, anything that you, you wonder about i mean you you had a, a brief taste of that michelle uh going into civilian life and working the gs scale um any questions you have for charlie about what it was like to go back to working at at&t with people who didn't share that army experience or that shared purpose um so i'm going to open it up if either of you have questions for uncle charlie <laughs> I mean, I guess I would ask Uncle Charlie, like, um, how do you, my concern is like, how do you view those who maybe have a negative um, image of the military or, you know, necessarily don't understand what the military does? How do you deal with those, those folks? 
Well, you know, I, I kind of uh, view it as, I kind of feel sorry for him in a way. Uh, I did have a boss that uh, was uh, kind of indifferent to the military and I just made one passing comment. But I said, that, that's, that's too bad, that's very sad. That's very sad that uh, all the freedoms that are being enjoyed here in the, in the States are as a result of sacrifices that people made. I mean, there's, there's cemetery, military cemeteries all over uh, the U.S. and there's, you know, in Normandy and all that. And uh, I just kind of, kind of block it out, I guess, and, and tolerate it. Uh, there's, I, I'm not gonna change their mind and that's okay. They're, they're free to think what they want. So I, I, have, I have something like funny that I recall, you know, I had a, I had a break between getting out enlisted and going to college and then going to Marine Corps OCS. And I remember after I got out, I had gone to the mall. I believe it was, um, it may have been Sears to interview for a job in the portrait studio. And the gentleman there that was interviewing me asked me, you know, what kind of experience I had. And, you know, when you're a young private in the infantry, it's not the most marketable. Um, yes, you can market it. But he said to me, and I'll never forget this. He said, so you haven't had a real job yet. And I was, <laughs> I was dumbfounded by that comment. I'm like, wow, I can't believe this guy who sits in a photo studio in Sears, you know, is telling me that I haven't had a real job. I, I, I'll never forget that. That, yeah, people just don't think about what they're saying. Like, that's just astounding, really. Um, I was gonna say that, yeah, the other question I had for Uncle Charlie was like, how important is it, do you think, for you know those who've been in the military to kind of seek out, once they're out, um, support groups or others who've been in the military, um, things like that? I got to tell you, I think that's essential. That is absolutely essential. Even today, I have uh, a breakfast group and it's, it's five veterans and I get together on Thursday mornings about nine o'clock for about an hour, hour and a half and we talk. And you know, it just kind of gives me a sense of comfort. It gives me a sense of comfort that we have, as, as Dave mentioned, uh, shared experiences. And it's not, it, all, all of our conversation does not center around the military and what we did. But, you know, it might be as simple as, hey, guys, I need a plumber. You guys, who do you use? You know, something very, uh, you know, very, you know, that you wouldn't even think of that. It just, but overall, I come away from breakfast feeling energized. Uh, I know that they're all doing well. I, uh, in fact, one out of the five, uh, one was in infantry in Vietnam. Uh, one was in charge of a platoon of medics. Uh, one was a cadre at Ranger School. Uh, the other one was in, and these are all Army. The other one was uh, Air Force, uh, and he served in uh, he served in Vietnam in like consulate. And another one uh, happens to be a very very good friend of mine that was in the hospital administration, but. All in all, it's, uh, you know, we have a commonality. We're, we're veterans and just, I, networking is really, really important. I mean, to, to make that transition and make it smooth, and it's just like the icing on the cake. 
And I, I do want to clarify for some of our audience, and then I'm the one to introduce the term, so I want to. I, I need to be the one to back backtrack it. When I say shared experiences, not necessarily like identical experiences, because obviously Charlie in the triple canopy jungles of Vietnam compared to the mountains of Afghanistan, there's not a lot of shared like what you saw in terms of, of the terrain and everything like that, but shared experiences like you're saying of every one of you knows what it's like to leave base and head out there. Uh, every one of you knows what it's like to have lost friends. And those are the type of shared experiences that you know we want to bridge between veterans and uh, of all conflicts to say, you know, there is this this bridge that you guys can talk about and help each other. Um, so I just want to you know clarify that for the audience who are thinking, you know, I was in the mountains, what do I have to share with someone who was in the jungle? Uh, plenty. Plenty to share. Uh, Dustin. Well, oh, no, go ahead, Oscar. I will say that I have been to Vietnam and Laos, but it was under much less hostile conditions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I would hope so. <laughs> less hostile. Dustin. Uh, Oscar, what were you doing in Laos? I was actually, um, I have traveled to 82 countries now in my life. Um, cool. I am, I am trying to accumulate as many life experiences as I can instead of possessions. I think when I was younger, I was more focused on that and the memories that seeing and experiencing uh, other cultures has brought me are, are much more dear to my heart than owning a pair of Prada shoes or, or you know, uh, a Rolex watch or something like that. Um, so that's why I was there. Cool. I totally agree with that sentiment. Uh, yeah. Um, Michelle, what, what kind of, Charlie said you were doing um, veterinary work in Afghanistan, but also medical work. What was, what was that like? Because I, I come from northern New Mexico, so it's like as close to Afghanistan as you get in the United States. Uh, so I, I'm always interested in what's going on on the other side of the world. So I was doing uh, medical work. The special forces had uh, special forces vets that were doing the veterinary stuff. Um, but um, the, you know, I always said that Afghanistan, if it were not full of landmines, would be this most amazing, beautiful <laughs> tourist spot um, because it's actually quite beautiful the mountains and you know there's the Bamiyan district that's like amazing like we'd go up with these you know special forces guys who were taking us to different camps and um we'd get up and there's just white snow everywhere and then you'd come down into the valley and there's all these beautiful apricot trees and um it was very interesting though because you'd look at the landscape I remember one time we flew in because we were going to stay with the um, Kiwi camp and we flew in and they opened the back door and we all we as we didn't see anything like the landing strip was totally clear um and then all of a sudden you see all these little kids coming out of the mountains like they're running towards the plane you know like all these children are like coming to see like hey the you know american soldiers are here um i saw a lot of interesting cases i would say like as far as i i by training i'm a pediatrician i can i when i was in afghanistan i saw adults as well but um, um, <clears throat> they, I saw a kid who had a broken leg from like three years ago that had already healed and he was just, he had to walk on that leg, you know, 
I saw a mom who came in, she took off her burqa and underneath her burqa were two little babies. Like, you know, like one you could tell was very healthy and the other one was very thin and I knew it was gonna die. And when I examined the baby, I could hear, I was like, oh, this baby has a heart condition. They're not gonna make it, you know? And the, the, of course they, everyone thinks like as Americans, you are, you're the people, you're the saviors, right? You guys are gonna save us. You're gonna get my sick kid out of here. You know, you're gonna take care of, of my child. And for me, that was very difficult, like wanting to take all these kids home and knowing that, wow, I could easily get care for this kid, you know, in the States, but we couldn't take everybody home. You yeah. know, like we, we couldn't take all the kids home. And so that, that was difficult. And we've talked about, you know, we've asked a couple of veterans, are you the ones who declared war on Vietnam? And of course it's no, it's our governments didn't get along or and now in these cases, our government's not getting along with certain factions in Iraq and, and Afghanistan. But for, for you dealing with the people of Afghanistan, um, did you, I mean, what's it like, you know, when you get down to the nitty gritty, like not everyone obviously in Afghanistan is a hardcore violent true believer. Um, if you weren't there under wartime conditions, would you have found that much difference between going to, you know, countries? I, that's not the best wording, but I hope you get what I'm saying. <laughs> so I can, we had, um, we had Afghan translators who were from the States. So they were Afghans who had agreed to come to Afghanistan to be our translators. And I think their perspective was probably best because I would talk to them and ask them, how do you see Afghanistan now that our presence is here versus before and they definitely noted improvement like you know there were girls that were going to school there were you know like a, a lot more freedoms that were visible prior to they were there like when the taliban was you know like in um what was ruling and so they um definitely saw a huge difference uh and noted you know like definitely that that difference i mean there's still a lot of things you know like i mean Overall, when we drive through the city, you'd think like, okay, it's like some of the other cities that I've been to, like maybe, you know, like Kathmandu or, you know, a little chaotic people everywhere, um, motor, motorbikes all over the place. But, um, um, but yes, as far as like, I think there had been a lot of improvements that they had noted um, with our, our presence there. I'm not sure how it is now because it's been a while. And Yeah, it changes. Oscar, yeah, you've, been, you've been all over the world. Um, what's the... What's the thing you notice um, culturally uh, that, that kind of holds all of us together? What, what kind of shared values have you seen? So regardless of where I've been, I think humans in general want the same basic things. They want food on the table. They want a better future for their children. Um, and they want to live in a safe environment. They used to catch some of these guys downrange, whether they be in Iraq or Afghanistan, that were planning IEDs, and they were like, "Why? Why are you doing this?" And they're like, "I was paid five hundred dollars, and I need to feed my family." And it wasn't anything against the coalition; it was about survival of their family, um, right. getting food on the table. And some people are put in unfortunate circumstances, but like I said, I think across the world, wherever I've been, those are those are the same basic needs, um, and 
even though I've seen some bad things, I think my dad and my uncle have seen worse things than my sister and I. We've seen different things. Um, most people are good in general. Uh, I still have that that faith that society is good as a whole. Um, there's always going to be bad apples wherever you go, but um, you know, and we're also very fortunate to live in America, even though we have our own problems, we have a lot to be thankful for. And I think sometimes people that don't experience stuff outside of their box forget that. Charlie, I'm gonna open it up to you in terms of any advice that you have that maybe hasn't been covered in terms of transitioning or I always remember the quote from Gary Qualley, how he had trouble coming back because, you know, his boss would tell him to do something. And he said, God, this just, I was in charge of the whole platoon of soldiers and firefights. And this just doesn't, yeah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing his words. doesn't float my boat. This doesn't seem that important. Like, how did you transition to AT&T and sitting, I'm assuming, behind a desk? Sure. I think, uh, I think today, is a you know it you, if you take maybe the the 18 months before you decide to leave the military and transition to a civilian job i'm i'm assuming that oscar and michelle are going to take jobs after the military uh whether civilian or whatever uh, rather than just at home like i do and, and retire right <laughs> so from that standpoint let's just look at the uh the career that they are in, which is the medical services. And I just think that that is one of the premier segments of, of the US that you would wanna be in as far as jobs. And I'm thinking about the things that come to mind or the, uh, the aging population, which is the demographics of the US. Uh, people are living longer now. So, you know, our medications are improving, our quality of life, before this pandemic anyway, <laughs> was on a good track. And now we have social media that, uh, you know, the transfer of data and talking with uh, people around the world is made possible. I just think that they're in, they're in a prime, prime occupation right now for them, for whenever they finish the military. And, you know, I'm looking, if, if it was me in their shoes, I'd look at uh, 18 months before leaving the military to establish networks with people that are coming out of the military and going into civilian life. Where are they going? What sort of jobs? Keep in, keep in contact with them. And, uh, you know, even, and then select what city do you think you want to live in? I mean, is it San Antonio? Well, San Antonio is the hub for medical services. Uh, we've got, you know, Fort Sam, we've got, uh, We've got Audie Murphy Veterans Hospital. It's a big regional center here, and they even do research at the University of Texas uh, here in San Antonio. But there's so many, there's like, you know, I can come up with probably eight different areas to look at. I mean, go online, look at the newspapers for, for San Antonio, see what, uh, what's going on in the medical field, how many the hospitals they're building. It's just wide open, but I think if someone like Michelle and Oscar, or any veteran that's in the military, kind of takes a really broad look and just throws a big net out there of what they want to do, what, 
maybe some of their goals are and always you always want to be flexible if you know if plan a doesn't work plan b all of those things uh i think you just can't go wrong the networking with uh different groups uh military groups or past military groups uh that have served it just opens the whole world to you and that would be my advice so i i would i would say that I agree with a lot of what um, my uncle Charlie's saying, but I, I've seen this as of recently. One of my friends, he retired as a, a colonel, triple triple below the zone selectee from major lieutenant colonel and colonel, was the commander for Launchville Regional Medical Center, which is, that's, that's being a CEO of a hospital and transitioning out a lot of these folks that haven't served in the military sometimes have a hard time understanding the depth and um, importance of the position he held as the commander of a medical facility uh, and the responsibility that he had. Now I had multiple discussions with him where these folks were like, well, we don't really understand that like command and being in charge of 3000 people and you know, the hub for folks that get injured downrange. So he, he struggled with that. Um, and I think it is important to keep those military contacts because they definitely understand our language. And he even had a, he had a recruiter that helped him craft his resume, a professional recruiter that tries to transition that military jargon to something that civilians would better understand. Um, you just got to keep keep trying and i know my sister and i are probably going to encounter that on different levels i think as a doctor it's kind of easy to understand well pediatrician is a pediatrician not exactly you know military you're going to do some different things but you know they understand a pediatrician they don't understand the commander of a hospital and all that they are in charge of or some of the some of the jobs that we do kind of like what i'm doing right now and then just another quick shout out before i forget i want y'all to notice what I'm wearing here um, is this is actually <laughs> a t-shirt from the very first unit I was in I was in one of fifth MI long-range surveillance detachment at Fort Polk Louisiana when I was a private and this is from my unit that's <laughs> uh, great we've, we've been to Tigerland three times and uh, <laughs> Man, that heat, that's all I'll say, that heat there. <laughs> that's, a that's a crazy place, man. Um, congratulations on making it through that. But I am not a ranger. I was just in the Lurch unit there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which is, you know, very close to what Charlie did in Vietnam with the long range patrols. Um, I, 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 I just, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was gonna say something. I agree with my brother. I think it's really important that we have to translate what we did in the military and make sure to kind of spell that out for folks who are civilian because they don't really understand, you know, like you're a lot of folks have management skills. They manage people, you know, they yes. manage lots of things in the military. And so they really need to like make sure to put those things on their resume. And I, I will tell you one of the things that I'm struggling with, um, having my 20 and already and kind of just kind of like, going along saying, okay, what's my next thing I'm gonna do in the military? Um, where's my next job gonna be? Is the fact that once I retire, I am so used to moving every three to five years, it seems like so foreign for me to think like, 
what? I got to live somewhere the rest of my life? So for me, that's like a huge decision trying to figure out like, where do I want to live? Like, where should we go? And I know part of it is like, okay, well, where are the jobs going to be? You know, but also because we, I think having been in the military, and especially those who have moved so much, um, you've seen so many things in, you know, sometimes other countries or other areas of the states that you kind of like want to take a little bit of some of each of those and put them into one place and say, this is where I would like to retire, which sometimes is impossible. <laughs> you know? But um, so for me, I know that's been a discussion I've had a lot with them. Um, you know, my husband is like, okay, where are we going to retire? And right now we're like, no idea. <laughs> My wife has taken to moving the furniture every three to five months. It's, it's super useful. <laughs> Dave, 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 I'd like to make a comment here, if it's okay. Absolutely. I think uh, when, when we think about transition, I want to be sure that we recognize someone else in Michelle and Oscar's family, their mom, who transitioned from being a military nurse to being a nurse here in San Antonio at, at the local hospital. And Diane's experience was that she was a nurse during the Vietnam conflict and was stationed in Okinawa. Her job was to treat the wounded that were wounded in Vietnam and uh, help with their wounds and uh, rehabilitation. Uh, I have never heard Diane speak about her experiences in Vietnam. I have heard through my brother that she has only spoken to Michelle and Oscar one time at dinner. And that's the only time that she has uh, spoken to them about her experiences. I think it was to the, to the point of being so emotional that Oscar and Michelle got up from the dinner table and had to leave. So shout out to my, to my sister-in-law, Diane, and her service. Absolutely. Um, one of our goals, hopefully someday, is to speak with some of the Vietnam nurses for this podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and, yeah, it's, it is something that, and that, like we said at the very start of this, that we want to encourage everyone to talk everyone has something to talk about and it's okay to talk about when you're ready when you're ready with someone that you're ready to talk with um and i did want to ask you michelle you said that you worked with when you were in your gs uh lifetime um you were working with military spouses um were they spouses of, of soldiers who were deployed or uh um mm -hmm. What was your experience like? I mean, that that there's we're talking about shared experiences. We do want to give the shout out to the spouses who do share these experiences. Um, what was your primary job? I mean, obviously as a pediatrician, but did you find a lot of just talking to them about military life and helping with that as well? Yeah. So, so um. I, where I was when I was, I was in Germany and what the base where I was, um, they rotated it like pretty much every other year. So, um, we had a lot of, um, military spouses that would come in with their kids, you know, um, and, um, part of, part of my job is to make sure that the parent's okay. 
you know, that the um, parent is fine, is not having any emotional, you know, like problems. But definitely, I think, um, I think also, you know, like having them knowing that I had deployed was also kind of like, it's, it seemed to tie us a little closer as well. You know, and I said, I understand. I know, you know, like what's happening. I know like my husband, when he called me and said, oh my gosh, our little boy swallowed like a packet of those little beads that are in the shoes. He's like, what do I do? You know, like these frantic calls I get, you know, like sometimes. Um, so I, I totally understood. And I'm all, I've always been like very, I would do, you know, like I'll bend over backwards for military spouse because I think that they're uh, extremely special, um, that they um, are super strong and they're so resilient, you know? And I just like, so if somebody would come late to the clinic, you know, maybe somebody would come late, they'd check in and somebody would say like, this patient's 20 minutes late. You're not gonna see him, are you? And I said, yes, I am. I said, I'm gonna see them. I'm like, I don't know what that parent is going through. I don't know that that parent doesn't have a deployed spouse. Maybe their car broke down. Maybe they were in traffic. They've got three little ones hanging behind them. You know, so um, the military spouse is just like, you know, amazing. And I have to like, I have to kind of give a shout out to my husband too. Like I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for my husband. He took care of our kids for 13 months in Germany without any, you know, support. Um, and, um, um, you know, like you don't have it for the military, like we don't always have that family support there because we're, we sometimes we're really far away and sometimes your family can't always be there for you. So that makes it a little bit more difficult too, but definitely I just, um, yeah, the military spouses for me, that's why it's so important. Like, as I, you know, think about retiring, I really think I'm probably going to work at a military clinic, um, because I just have such a heart for, you know, military spouses and the families, um, and I know what it's like. Michelle, I got a question for you. I know the answer. For some of the new moms, you as a pediatrician, would you ever give your cell phone number out to these new moms? <laughs> I did. Yes, I did a lot. And, and it was funny because I just recently, I was giving a presentation um, here for Region at one of their medical conferences. And this lady came up to me and she's like, Dr. Flores, she's like, do you remember me? You made a house call to my house. <laughs> and I was trying to think back and I was like, she goes, my little one was sick and I couldn't get out of the house and you came to my house. And I said, oh yeah, that's right. So I just, I mean, it's what you do, right? Like we need to support our military. We need to be there for yeah. them. Um, it's not a, like, I don't think like, hey, my job is from 7.30 to like, you know, 4.30 or whatever. My job is 24-7. I'm in the military. Um, and I need to like help out others when they need help. So, Michelle, growing up and your dad being enlisted, how difficult was it to get into one of the clinics and see a doctor? Um... I, you mean like for us to get in or do you mean? Yeah, like for, like, like for you or, or Oscarito, for your dad to try to get an appointment for, in the clinic for, to go see you guys, um, it's, it's like, well, you gave your cell phone number out to new moms because their baby was making bubbles, which, you know, they panicked, but it was okay that the, a baby makes bubbles. But, but your dad at the same time would say, Michelle, why do you give your cell phone number out 
And he, he said, your reply was, Dad, do you remember how difficult it was because you were enlisted to get an appointment at the clinic? So that's, that's paraphrasing a little bit of what your dad said. <laughs> So, so I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I don't remember. I don't recall that, but, but I will tell you that, um, I, there's not any difference currently, you know, at the clinics, like I don't see rank at all. Um, You're that's right, one thing right. I get, I get okay. lots of phone calls that say, you know, somebody will tell me, Hey, somebody needs blah, blah, blah. He's an 06. And I'm like, okay, well, yeah. what's the situation? Like, I don't really think yeah. for me rank is, I don't, and I don't know, but, but I will tell I, you. I didn't. Oh, go ahead. I did not mean to. I did not mean to uh, in, to infer that uh, you made a differentiation between officers and enlisted for them making appointments to your clinic. It was based on his experience, I mm. guess, in trying to trying to get in to see a doctor. That uh, you, as a little kid, remembered. Hey, this is hard to get in to see a doctor. So me, I'm in a position now, if I want to give my cell number out to these new moms, I'm going to do that. <laughs> or I'm going to make a house call, which, you know, it says a lot for your commitment to being, in the, being a doctor, I guess, and, and really what's the driving force for that. So that's all. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think that the military has been such a big influence in our family. You know, like it's been like a huge, it's always like, it's, we're all really proud. Like we're super patriotic family. The military <laughs> has definitely influenced my family. You know, I did when, when I got promoted, one of the coolest things was I had Colonel coins and I gave it out to all the folks in our family who were previous, you know, military, like for them to have a coin. And then another mm -hmm. really cool thing was like, I actually got to promote my brother, <laughs> which was really cool. Um, you know, really, um, it's just, I think some of our experiences. So for me, it's like, yes, commitment of being a doctor, but also a commitment to the military. That's why, you know, you asked me like, why well, I worked as a civilian for a while. And I thought, what are you doing? Like, why are you not back, you know, in the military? also where you can have such a varied experience, right? Like I'm just not seeing patients, but I'm also managing people. I'm doing, you know, a lot of things, helping others in different ways, going to the school if they need me to, like all these other things that the military has provided, you know, doing other med caps, going, you know, to different countries to like do healthcare. Um, the military just has provided, I think all of us, like so many opportunities. Well, and I want to ask a question. Um piggyback in on what Oscar was saying about his friend who uh, retired and, and people not understanding that he was running a hospital. I had a talk with my older brother probably a month ago with, you know, the unrest that's going on and the, the shrinking of the economy with COVID about how long it would take for people to start wanting to defund the military because so many people think that the military is just all about war. All it is is everyone's a soldier everyone's in Afghanistan as infantry um, for for the two of you in the medical field um, and I'm not asking this for we have we have a pretty firm you know try not to get into politics because these days half the people will love it and half the people will hate it no matter what we say um, but in terms of kind of the misunderstanding about a the military isn't all infantry I mean how does 
does that affect you as soldiers or, or have you, you know, like what you're saying, Oscar, that extra hurdle of coming back into civilian life of, of trying to explain that? Does that, is that something that for lack of a better word wears on you guys or, or what's that like for you? For me personally, no. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that the military has brought to the civilian populace that people sometimes forget about. Some of these life-saving things that we have now that have been learned on the battlefield. Um, we wouldn't be making this call right now uh, if we didn't have the internet. Um, so I think there's going to be some people that are always going to be, you know, in the camp where they're like, well, why, do, why does this need to exist? Because they don't, they don't understand, in my opinion, the balance of the world and sometimes things need to be done to keep that balance. So that's, that's all I'm going to say on that. Cause then I'm, I might go off on a track that I probably shouldn't. <laughs> no, I, I understand. I got, I got upset at my alma mater last week as I serve on the, the college of arts and sciences committee and I represent the film school, but also the criminal justice program having graduated from that. And I do a lot of mentoring and, a hundred faculty up there signed a letter to defund the Seattle police. And I was like, you can't, you can't stab me in the back like that. Ask me to come up and help and then and do that. And, and yeah, I understand what, what you mean. Like there's a lot that you guys don't appreciate. Um, of course we're seeing it now that there's a no police zone and how well that's going, but yeah, <laughs> I'll do like you and say, that's all I'm going to talk about. But I do, I, I feel what you're saying. <laughs> Michelle Oscar I think you guys touched on a really interesting point about rotating back and and um, having a shared language with uh, the civilian population especially as it as it looks at um, your service record against you know uh, civilian terms for what what those things mean you know uh, it's really easy you know um, having not having having not been in the military having to kind of learn the jargon uh, on the fly over the last five years, uh, there's there's so much overlap, and and really, you know, it, military jargon is 100% just an ease of communication. So we don't say, you know, like a million. It's like it's like the sciences, right? We could we could say the 400,000 long word, or we could just say, you know, pets, um, <laughs> whatever it is. Uh, the the need to be able to translate between those two. Um, kind of languages uh, seems uh, seems important. I wonder uh, I wonder how we would go about setting up a better translation process, and if you have any ideas about that. You know, I, I think I think there are plenty of professionals in place that help service members if they want to, you know, pay for those services. And there are some things that the the military offers too to folks that are transitioning to try to to try to bridge that gap. But, you know, you can't sit down with everybody and, and, and explain the, like in clear detail, everything that, you know, I'll go back to Colonel Tim Hudson retired that he did to run a hospital, the premier hospital for wounded warriors coming, you know, from downrange. Uh, sometimes they wake up and that's the first place they remember is being at Launchville Regional Medical Center. Uh, it's just, you know, trying to trying to you push your case for the level of responsibility you had and sometimes people 
that are hiring you won't understand that and you might not have a chance with them, which is unfortunate. Yeah. I think it's also important that if you know um, civilian counterparts, have them look at your resume, have them sit down with you, you know, to discuss it so that you can figure out like what types of terms that they use. Um, and then there are, you know, like as folks get ready to retire, I know that they have a lot of um, different classes that they make us go to, you know, as far as like resume writing, things like that, so that you can have a better idea of how you want to put those things out for the um, civilian world. And I think also, like, I would tell people, um, do not, like, shy away from saying anything about your military service. I think some people are afraid to say that they were in the military. And you'd be surprised how many people have served. Um, you know, like, I'm always, like, I always bring it up. And there are so many people that are, like, have been in the civilian world for a long time, but they started out in the military. Um, so that's another thing to really, you know, remember, is that there's a lot of us out there and there's even more who would have joined if, if not for that <laughs> i would have joined the army but uh i have a bad toe <laughs> <laughs> i have actually run through all my moderation topics i won't say questions this week uh dustin do you have anything i don't have anything else uh i wanted to say thank you to both oscar and michelle for uh joining us today and uh, thank Charlie for his uh, always steady hand at the wheel of answering our ridiculous questions. Um, and, and I do want to say, Charlie, you always ask me, Dave, if I may, when have I ever said no, Charlie? <laughs> there was like that one time that. at dinner. <laughs> yeah. I know that. <laughs> but we all yeah, always, I know. <laughs> we always like to open up the floor. Um, you know, for the final word for you guys, is there anything that we didn't cover or anything that you would like to say to current vets or, you know, veterans who have been out? Charlie, we always talk about Vietnam vets who, who may want to talk. Um, for any of you who want to say anything to, to people who are out, and, and um, I open up the floor. Charlie, you first. Okay, no. Well, first of all, Dave, I want to thank you and Dustin for doing these podcasts. I want to thank you for doing the uh, documentary on the uh, Apache Blues. It's always a, a privilege for me to be around those people, uh, to be on podcasts and, and things of that nature. Anything associated with what you guys do is first class, and I appreciate it. As far as the uh, military today, I think that uh, you, you can probably discern that Michelle and Oscar are very committed, just as just as all the people that I see or know that are in the military today. They uh, they're the next generation from from where I'm sitting to do the work that needs to be done for our country. And uh, I want to thank them for their service. And uh, I know that they're whatever career, second career that, that they choose. I think that they're going to do just really great. They also know that. You know, my, my phone is always open to them, 24-7. They can get a hold of me any way they wish. Uh, and, and that goes to for all my nieces and nephews, all six of them, which some have been in Malaysia, and they call me at 3 in the morning and whatever. It doesn't matter. I, I always want to be available to them. But, uh, again, I want to thank everyone. Well, and I was going to say, based off the times that you sent me emails or Facebook messages, I know you're up late willing to take a phone call. 
<laughs> Oscar, anything that you would like to, to say to others, to veterans, to people in, out, anything you would like to say? Well, first of all, I'd like to say thanks for uh, having my family on here today. Um, and I want to thank all the veterans uh, for their service. One thing that I do want to touch on is I have an experience that's somewhat unique compared to most military members. And I was in a Fort Hood shooting and some of my coworkers were shot and one of them was killed. Um, and it's not really something you expect to happen when you go to combat and you feel that you're prepared to defend yourself from the enemy. But the enemy that day was within our ranks not necessarily within our unit, but from a unit down the street. And what, what I learned from that is people react to traumatic experiences much differently. Uh, that experience didn't really affect me. In my opinion, I haven't felt that it has, not that I don't have feelings, but I saw what my other coworkers went through and how it affected them. So you never really know how somebody's gonna act to a traumatic experience. But the most important thing I feel is you need to get help and you need to talk to somebody, regardless of who it is. Um, even if it's just a friend, family member, sometimes even to a stranger, but you, you shouldn't leave that bottled up inside of you, regardless of who you are. If you're, you know, you've got the power of tower on your uniform, meaning you're like a soft guy and you're double tabbed, you're still a human and you still need to talk. It doesn't even matter if you're a cook that, you know, is an E2 that's seen something traumatic. Please get out there and talk to somebody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Michelle? Um, Oscar stole almost all my points. Um, <laughs> so um, I, wanted to, I wanted to say, um, yes, thank you, um, Dustin and Dave, for doing this. Um, thank you for sharing um, veterans stories and for putting that out there to help to help other veterans. I really appreciate that. Um, secondly, um, um, yes, I um, wanted to say thank you to all the veterans um, and all those who are st um, still serving. Um, thanks for all you do every day. Um, it makes a difference and it means a lot to us. I want to thank my Uncle Charlie, um, my dad, my mom. Um, my brother too, who I um, will often call for military advice um, <laughs> because since I'm a doctor, I don't always, I'm like, Oscar, what does this mean? What should I do about this? Like, <laughs> so, um, um, so, and thanks to um, Uncle Charlie for all he did and for Tia Beverly for supporting him. And um, yeah, my parents, of course, who have always supported my brother and I. And I would say like, so a couple of things. One is, um, rely on your family. I agree with, you know, um, what my brother said is don't be afraid to tell people when you need something, when things are not going well. There are so many services now that are available. Um, behavioral health is, a, you know, big issue in the military. And so um, a lot of that stigma has been removed for folks. And so they need to, when they need help, it's better to reach out early than to wait. Um, and lastly, I want to just say, um, don't forget the fallen, right? Roger Pena, my medic who um, died in Afghanistan. Um, just don't forget, you know, those people who have fallen. I know that every time I go to a, you know, a memorial or anything like that, it's just very emotional, right? Um, um, just 
don't forget it's i know for a lot of people it's you know like um it's a long time ago but i think it's important for us to remember and it helps us to support those um today absolutely and i would say that oscar i'm not going to say stole some of my points he very much um <laughs> what i wanted to close out with you've, you've reinforced what we've been trying to say with this podcast um so many people we meet don't want to talk because they weren't in combat it's you know like you said even from the e2 cook who maybe you know in vietnam who was there when the base got shelled um the the donut dollies in vietnam who had friends go out and not come back um you know that there's plenty of things that people want to help with and and don't don't feel like you can't talk just because of your position like everyone will benefit and we want to encourage everyone to do it so thank you for you know not coming from the two of us doing a podcast but you know coming from you oscar that that means a lot and coming from you michelle and, and from you charlie um we just can't encourage this enough for people uh dustin you want our sign out again this week sure you've been listening to the know their story podcast if you made it this far we must be doing something right let us know by subscribing to our channel and think about sitting down with the veterans in your life because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation not the end